0: The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Let everything that hath rest praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Let us pray. We gather together, our Father, and praise thee according to thy word, to rejoice in the certainty of thy grace, the majesty of thy government, the ever-present health of thy holy spirit. We thank thee, our Father, that underneath all the experiences of life are thine everlasting heart. And so, our God, in joy and in thanksgiving, we gather together Praise thee to rejoice in thy word and in one another, and to look unto thee for a great things yet to come. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture lesson is the second chapter of Genesis, verses one through three. Genesis two. Verses one through three, the Sabbath. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made.
1: As we saw last
0: week when scripture tells us that God rested on the seventh day, it means not rest in the human sense, but that he disengaged himself, ceased or desisted from further creation. This does not mean that God ceased working thereafter, nor that he has done nothing since then. It does not refer to a cessation of divine activity, but of creation. Scripture emphatically tells us in Isaiah 40, verse 28, But God is never weary, nor needs rest in any human sense. Moreover, we are told that he blessed the seventh day and sanctified, because he had rested from all his work. Thereby, he not only blessed the rest, but blessed the work creation. So that all things were declared thereby not only very good, but holy, separate, blessed unto God. Now the meaning of the Sabbath is eschatological. The word eschatological means a sign of the end of creation, of the end of all things. The whole meaning of the Sabbath, therefore, is that it points ahead to the future. Throughout history, the Sabbath has had this meaning. The Old Testament Sabbath commemorated Passover, the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. But it also looked ahead to the fulfillment of the Kingdom of God. And to this day, when any Jew celebrates the Sabbath, he not only commemorates the deliverance of Egypt, that he looks ahead to the consummation of God's work in the new creation. Similarly, the Christian Sabbath, the day of resurrection, the first day of the week,
1: celebrates not
0: only a past event, but it looks forward to the general resurrection at the end of the world, so that very clearly it is eschatological, it is a sign of the end. The calendar, therefore, in any Christian or biblical sense, is geared to salvation. It is geared to the future, to the triumph of God in time and in eternity. The sad fact is that
1: Christians don't realize
0: what the calendar means. The Christian calendar, the biblical calendar, is unlike any other calendar the world has ever known. Beginning with Israel in the Old Testament and with the Church in the New, man's days were numbered in terms of a time span that was geared to rest, so that he worked, looked forward to the day of rest, and that day of rest looked forward to the end of all things, the victory in time and in eternity. The enemies of the faith have understood the meaning of the calendar and as a result every attempt at revolution has also been an attempt at calendar reform. The French Revolution immediately abolished the Christian calendar and began redating all days and years from the French Revolution. The same thing was done by the communists. In 1918, When the Bolsheviks took over, they immediately began to renumber the years, something they subsequently dropped, but they abolished the Christian calendar emphatically. In
1: 1929,
0: they instituted further calendar reform, seeking thereby to abolish Christianity and the family by abolishing the Sabbath. They created a five-day week in 1929. Every person was put on a work group. There were five color groups. And you could be a red worker or a black worker or a blue worker or a green worker and I forget what else. But you had a color It meant, then, that there was continuous operation in their five-day week, around the clock as well, with four of the color workers working at all times and one resting. This meant, since it was deliberately an assignment in terms of color, not in terms of family and against family, That a husband would be working at one time, the wife at another, and their day of rest would never coincide, nor would the day of rest of any of the children who were working coincide. And of course, no day for worship. In 1932, because this five-day week proved to be too difficult and too strenuous for people because it meant a very radical dislocation. The color system was dropped and the work week was made into six days with a common rest day admitted. In 1936, they instituted further changes. The quote uh, counts these changes Whereas the year of 365 days remains divided into 12 months, two parallel weeks have been introduced—one of seven, the other of six days. Labor, industry, and rest are to be regulated by the shorter; government and international intercourse by the longer. The rest days of the labor group of the labor week fall on the 6th, 12th, 18th, 24th, and 30th day of each month with March 1st taking the place of the fifth rest day of February. Now the purpose of this Marxist calendar is very clearly revolutionary. There are new holy days in the Marxist calendar. May Day, of course, is a great day. Lenin's day is another. The new holy days in the Marxist calendar point to the Marxist plan of salvation. Moreover, the calendar is not geared to any Christian theme or to the future, but to a continuous cycle of work. Now, one scholar commenting on the Marxist calendar says, and I quote, his remarks are very pointed because he's calling attention to our approximation to the Marxist calendar. How far is the Russian labor calendar the practice of Western man already? How far is it not? With the Russian work is made into a public function of the people united. Leisure is a private business. Formally, this calendar contradicts our tradition in which each individual is toiling, bent on its work during the week, and comes into the common fellowship on Sundays only. However, the Russian shift in family and religious tradition is making work into a public function and rest into a private one, crystallized the movement that was in progress throughout the industrial world. For even in Anglo-Saxon countries, the common day of rest was slowly losing its importance, for more and more millions of people, maids, waiters, first and drugstores, people working in the pleasure industries, taxi drivers, telephone operators are required to take off not Sunday, but some other day picked at random to allow production to continue more or less undiminished. And in this change in calendar, this abolition of Sunday for parts of the population, is implicit an emphasis upon the community of labor. The difference between the practice on the theory of Western man and that of the Russian labor calendar is one of degrees. Leisure is becoming more and more a private affair. Production is coming to the front as a common destiny. In America, some great manufacturing plants have rejected the 12-month calendar and applied a 13-month calendar, each month containing 28 days. This 13-month calendar enables the plant to check more conveniently the amount of production per month. It glorifies production and the goods that are produced. It no longer cares for the holidays of the whole community. It stands halfway, then, between a calendar which united people for worship only and a calendar which unites the people who are working in shifts together, Now, there's another aspect to the Soviet or Marxist calendar we should recognize. Its purpose is to abolish history. It replaces history with economics and production. Every day is the same and production continues incessantly and the goal is to create an anthill society. An anthill society has no history.
1: You can never
0: write the history of an anthill or of a beehive. It's the same thing over and over and over. The goal, therefore, of modern calendar reform both in the Soviet Union and in this country, as well as through the US, is to create a beehive type of society, to abolish the calendar of progress, the calendar that looks to the future and the salvation. And it says the beehive is salvation, the anthill is salvation. The same thing over and over again. Every worker at his line in the production belt. We cannot understand, therefore, the meaning of calendar reform unless we realize it as directed against Christianity and the Christian fasts.
1: You have, therefore, now
0: a calendar of continuous work as the goal The ancient world had such a calendar of continuous work. The medieval church tried to war against that calendar, but their answer to it was continuous worship. The goal in the Middle Ages, and increasingly the reality, was a perpetually open church. And to this day... Roman Catholic Churches aim at keeping their sanctuaries open around the cross. The idea was, yes, outside there is a world of continuous work, a beehive, an ant world, but here within you have an escape from that world that goes nowhere. The Reformation reacted against it, and they said, no, to the world of continuous work is not one of continuous worship or escape as worship. But it is a closed church except on the Sabbath. And so the idea that the church should be closed during the week was emphatically stressed by the report. That man worked and worshipped in his work This was the liturgy, the public work of the people of God, to exercise dominion. And the Sabbath, therefore, coming together in virtue, was not an escape from the world of work, but a celebration of dominion under God, and of the future triumph and victory that would be the inheritance of God's people. As a result, very quickly, with this view of the calendar, Six days in which man can establish dominion.
1: The seventh day to stop
0: and to rest and to rejoice in that dominion. and very quickly that the Protestant countries were the areas where learning and science flourished. It's not an accident of history. It's recognized even by very thoroughly humanistic scholars. That the Puritans were the fathers of modern science. It was because their conception of the calendar was such that they felt they had to exercise dominion and develop sciences during the six days to develop everything. As a result, it's not surprising, moreover, that it was in the Puritan areas that the Industrial Revolution developed. Unfortunately, at this time, there was a dual movement that has brought great habits in. On the one hand, the Enlightenment, rationalism, humanism was beginning to infiltrate all circles. On the other hand, Pietism was beginning to capture the churches. And Pietism was a product Arminianism, which was Neo Thomism, a Protestant form of Thomism, which sought an escape from the world. And so the Sabbath, in the minds of the Pietists, was turned into a kind of a medieval conception of withdrawal, of retreat, of escape from the world. As a result, Whereas it was Puritan science that led to the Industrial Revolution when the Industrial Revolution began to develop, the churches were not prepared for it. They should have been prepared to work out a theology of the Sabbath in terms of the Industrial Revolution. They should have recognized that here is a great extension of man's dominion that this truly has been a product of everything the men of faith have worked for. That now not only is our capacity to work, our capacity to exercise dominion greatly enlarged, but our ability to celebrate the Sabbath and to rejoice therein also proportionately increases. Lacking a theology of the Sabbath, they had nothing to offer. And the result was a progressive breakdown. Meanwhile, the sons of the Industrial Revolution began to see the very things that they had produced. The machines and the greater ability to work, not as a blessing,
1: but as a curse. There was progressively, and especially in the
0: 20th century, a revolt against technology, a revolt against the machine. The fact is, the machine has decreased pollution. Pollution was
1: greater a few centuries ago, but the ecology
0: boys are ready to blame the machine for pollution. If anyone thinks that, say, New York City is polluted, let them read the statistics on the pollution and the disease attendant upon it. When all traffic in New York City was horse-drawn, every day the deposit of manure ran not into hundreds but tens of thousands of tons. And epidemics like cholera were routine. The pollution of the air is tense. The pollution of the river tests, and of the rise is nothing now compared to what it was a few centuries ago. Why the revolt against
1: the machine?
0: Last Sunday in Westwood there was some kind of arts and crafts festival and fair and the streets, you may have noticed, were filled with sidewalk vendors peddling a lot of tracks. Artsy craftsy junk. Purely decorative. But this is typical of all romantic rebellion against technology. They assume that a lot of little knickknacks that they make with their hands are somehow going to keep the world going and are a substitute for the machine. Some of these people establish communes where they think the answer to everything is to work with a hoe and to farm with a hoe. Not surprising that very quickly they lose their appetite for work and head back to the city lives of all these communes are very, very short. It's purely a romantic and a ridiculous rebellion. Everywhere, all over the world, however, the revolt against technology is real. Technology is seen as the enemy. And production is also declining. The ability of the average person to produce is greatly decreasing because of his unwillingness to see any point in work. Thus, when the Sabbath declines, ultimately work declines. For the purpose of God's Sabbath breath. Was that man might see the meaning of work and be able to work more successfully. A few weeks ago we heard Dr. Francis Nigel Lee. Dr. Lee a few years ago wrote a little pamphlet on the Sabbath interpreting the meaning of the word rest. And in it, he comments, with the creation of man on the sixth
1: day is the crown
0: and lord of creation God has finished creating. Now God rests from creation, rests in man the masterpiece of his creation. In man, God sabbath in creation in order to make it, to fashion it. And God appoints man his masterpiece to make it for him. He delegates his exclusive right to make things to man as his deputy, as his image. God shows to man the created earth as it is, as if, he says, subdue it. I have created the world to make it, to make it through you. I have made you, now you must make the earth. I shall rest on this Sabbath of creation week until the end of history. And I shall watch how you develop the." New new earth then make it for me. Watch how you proceed with the development of culture and hold you accountable on my eighth day on the day of the Lord at the end of history. When One man denies God, however. He denies the ultimacy of the transcendental supernatural power of God. But he doesn't deny an ultimate power in the universe every philosophy has the concept of ultimate power so when he denies that ultimate power is in god because he says there is no god he must then locate power somewhere in the world when he says it is man it ultimately devolves on the collective man of the state increasingly on
1: the instruments of man, the machines.
0: very interesting how man made the machine and now sees it as a threat to himself. There was a prophetic novel written on that subject about 175, 80 years ago, entitled Frankenstein. The author saw the threat of the machine. Man without God making his own creation the machine. And the machine proving to be greater than man. Why this threat? Some of the top men in cybernetics have actually said that machines computerized machines may take over civilization and govern man in the future and make man their slave. This is not only stated by science fiction writers but by professors at Harvard and elsewhere. It's ridiculous but they seriously believe this. Why? When God made his creation He gave it a status, a rest. Man needs that rest. When man made his creation a machine, his creation needs no rest. It can work around the clock. It is a continuous power. It works automatically. And it begins to terrify man. It is continual power. Man feels that somehow it is a threat to him. It is power that somehow is greater than himself. Because he no longer sees himself as an image created as in the image of God. As God's Lord over the earth. A very interesting statement not too long ago in a major publication commented on the world of machines and man's fear of machines and of computers, and especially of these computerized databanks. The writer, Arthur R. Miller, comments some people feel emasculated. When private information about them is disclosed or exchanged, even though the data are accurate, they do not suffer any career or social damage, correctly or incorrectly. They think in terms of having been embarrassed or demeaned by having been denuded of something that hitherto was theirs alone. This concern for the record will be reinforced by the popular conception of the computer as the unforgetting and unforgiving watchdog of society's information managers. As one observer has remarked, the possibility of a fresh start is becoming increasingly difficult. The Christian notion of redemption is incomprehensible to the computer. Unquote. Very interesting point, is it not? If man has no God, there is no forgiveness of sins. From God for him. And if he has created the machine, and is fearful of the machine, and now the machine becomes a data bank, which stores all his sins, every fact about him,
1: Where is the forgiveness of sins
0: in some cases as uh, known to me some veterans have found that everything that they ever did while in the armed forces is now part of the record that every time they went to the doctor for any kind of shot kind of ailment Some things they didn't want ever to be a part of any record are now a part of a government data bank. There is no forgiveness of sins with a data bank. And for the humanists, this is a terrifying thing. This is why it is the humanists are so afraid themselves of the data banks they are creating because they want to wipe out their past. So often and cannot do it. Having no God above to give them forgiveness of sin, they want to destroy the past and accumulate there constantly, unceasingly, every time there is any written record. You recall in Huxley's Brave New World, he had his. Predestinators. Much worse now for people, the predestinators are confused. The Sabbath is gone for the humanist, and he cannot find rest despite leisure. More leisure time than ever before. But because salvation and rest and work are inseparably intertwined. That one go to the other go. It was in eighteen ninety-seven that the word sabotage was caught. It comes from the word, French word, sabot, S-A-B-O-T, wooden shoes. What was sabotage? The wooden shoe workers taking their wooden shoes and putting them in the machines to destroy them. The first major result against our modern technology, the first sign of the growing mood towards primitivism. In other words, humanism, having no Sabbath, is incapable of work, incapable of rest, and is
1: committing suicide.
0: Dr. Rookocker, in commenting on Cubism and art, calls attention to the suicide. He says the aims of the Cubists, their quest for a new expression, a new art, were in the final analysis of the making of a new world view, one that broke away from the age-old humanism of Western society. The personal was lost, for there was no longer a personal God. Man, animals, plants, things, they are all basically the same. So there should be no basic difference in the way they are depicted.
1: Humanism, uh,
0: the reigning philosophy of our time, is dying around us because it can no longer maintain a view of man. It's it is it is death, and it's committing suicide. It is the end of man and the end of me. But those who have a Sabbath in Christ not work, because there's is the a calendar of progress, a future-oriented, conquest-oriented calendar, all break in. During the Sabbath, celebrate that fact. One of them by Isaac Watts, written in 1719, a post millennial This is the day the Lord hath made, he calls the hours his own. Let heaven rejoice, let earth be glad, and praise surrounds the throne. Today he rose above the dead, and Satan's empire fell. Today the, the, the saints did triumph. Tread, and all His wonders tell. Hosanna to the Anointed King, to David's holy son. Help us, O Lord, descend and bring salvation from the cross. But without such a faith, there is no Sabbath, no victory in rest becomes important. Man either revolts against the machine or it becomes a slave to it and even prides itself on becoming like a machine and like a computer. In commenting on the modern calendar and its orientation to the world of the machine, Dr. Eugene Rosenzak, who lectured here at UCLA about ten years ago, this to say, and I quote, The new solar calendar trains man to think of the future, not as something new, but as something that can be calculated in advance. Future in this world of economy and technique is the prolongation
1: of the past. If
0: former civilization that dared to think of the future as an annex to what we know about the past a special grammatical form for the future would probably never have been invented. The real future in its proper meaning implies a change in quality, a surprise, and a promise. To live in the future means to be indifferent to present hardship. In America, the future was such a deity because it meant an unknown life. So the solar calendar of power is... Sedantic. A witty banker in Berlin effectively made fun of it with the following story. He had a conference with the president of the largest German electric company, and after two hours, they saw that they would have to meet again.
1: The industrialist
0: was rather self-important and explained how terribly busy he was. Every day was completely booked up. Practically every hour was taken by meetings, consultations, Committees and business It was now January, and not before April the 16th could he find a free day in his appointment book. Yes, the 16th of April would suit him, but it suits the banker too. Warned by this pompousness, the banker said calmly, I'm sorry, on the 16th of April I have a funeral. The abolition of the real future. Is the price we pay for overloading our calendar as though the days to come were as much our fault as those of the past? He treats the future as his private property. and ever gets the full benefit of its character of three generations. The silence tells us that the future is not our private property and it's not the past. Endlessly repeated, the Sabbath because it speaks of God's regeneration tells us that the future comes not from man, not from his computers, not from his beehive and hill planning but from the sovereign God. The Sabbath says that we have a future, a victory, a resurrection from the dead. When we have no Sabbath, we have a world without future. When we have a Sabbath, we have work, victory, and goodness. This is why the Sabbath is so important for the calendar. Apart from a Christian calendar, the world will sink back into deadly routine work Nowhere and satisfies no one. Let us pray.
1: Almighty God,
0: our Heavenly Father, with thy gracious mercy hath given unto us a saddened rest. He does therein take hands off our is not in vain in thee, but all things have their glorious purpose in terms of thy kingdom. So teach us to rest, and so teach us to work,
1: that we may in all things
0: be more conquered, ever joyful in thy world. First of all, with regard to our lesson. Yes. I did know, but I couldn't tell you now, because when I read the book on cybernetics by Norbert Weiner, I was so amused. I promptly forgot within a month or two after I read it. Does anyone know? (laughs) Yes, the human use of human
1: beings. But that that isn't the meaning of the word. However, I don't think it's a very
0: human use he has in mind.
1: As I told
0: you, I read it and I uh, didn't like it, and I thought it was rather absurd, and i forgot. forgotten. It, it, well, it, it came out about 10 15 years ago, and I read it then, and uh, was it that long ago? Yes, I've forgotten what he had to say. Yes. Yes, he coined the word. His father was quite an interesting scholar, a philologist, so he came by the business of finding the words naturally. His father did some very interesting work on the origins of the American Indian.
1: Yes. Uh, Yes,
0: first of all, the UN does have in mind a calendar, not unlike the Soviet calendar, a world calendar, which will combine the various uh, holy days so that there will be a, a spring day to replace uh, Easter, which will define. Ancient fertility celebrations in primitive countries and a Buddhist day and so on. Then, second, with regard to, uh, the second part of it. Oh, yes, right. The purpose of changing the holidays has been, first of all, to hear the calendar more and more to leisure and more and more to purely national holidays. Historically, the big days in in the calendar in this country were Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter, and the only national holiday that was Anywhere near these, of the 4th of July. Now, by this new kind of calendar dating, the emphasis is going to be given increasingly on national holidays. It is going to be an attempt to gear the calendar also of the leisure. Because the net effect of putting them there is to enable people to get away, you see, on the weekends. To have a long weekend. And, uh, it doesn't have any real function in terms of any historic calendar consideration. It is anti-work. Now, one of the interesting things today is how people feel the need of getting away. This is a new thing in history. I mentioned some time ago when we were studying the law that historically men not only did not want to get away, but they liked to have their tools where they could see them all the time. They took pride in their craft so they kept their tools, the tools of their craft or trade, close at hand. And I mentioned at the time that you find a touch of that in doctors to this day. The doctor, when he travels, likes to take his bag along with him. He doesn't feel happy unless he can do it. And his vacation is really made if he has a chance to use that black bag somewhere on the trip. Because previously men did not rest by getting away. They rested on the Sabbath. And now, the rest is escape from work, because the whole conception of work and of life has changed. And so, to meet this demand for escape from work and the place of work, and escape
1: from the home,
0: whereas, at one time, people liked nothing better than a chance to go into the house, their home, and shut the door from the outside world, that was freedom and speech. Have to get away from work, to get away from the home, to get away from the kids, even to get away from your husband and get away from your wife. That's threat rest. In today's modern world, and you're not really traveling unless you leave the country too. Yes. Yes. They are, of course, working very seriously on major calendar reforms, uh, and they do want to abolish the Christian calendar
1: definitely.
0: Yes. No, three. It has. Two days at the end of six months and three at the end of the year. Now this is no longer true. The Jewish calendar is the same as ours today. But originally it was 360 days, uh, with 12 months of regular days and then extra Sabbath sandwiched in between the six months and at the end of the six months to make it an even
1: 365. Well,
0: it had the advantage of, uh, giving regular, twelve regular months. It meant that, uh, the Sabbath was on the day of the month rather than the day of the week. It was a good calendar. I wouldn't be averse to it being reestablished if it had a great deal of merit. And a calendar like that would
1: meet the demands
0: of industry uh, to have regular months of equal numbers of days. They've never proposed to return to that. Yes. Yes. The Book of Common Prayer calls for morning and evening Prayer, but it did not call for a professionally open church. Yes, they are. That's been a kind of compromise in many areas uh, between the old medieval and the modern notion. Yes. true, but you see, most of the Reformation churches did have morning and evening prayer for some time. This does not mean that they were all open all day in some of the cities they were. That's very true. But uh, in no period in England, would you have gone to any country church and necessarily found it open around the clock. Unlocked. Essentially unlocked. What? Oh, yes, right. This has been not a constant practice in in the Anglican churches. They have varied greatly, they've flung back and forth on that. In other words, they have at times been locked when there are no services. At times they've been open around the process, just depended on which influence has been strongest in, uh, Anglican circles. So, they have been both uh, in both camps, as it were, a good deal of the time. Yes. I don't see anything wrong with it. In fact, I rather like it.
1: Yes yes we are told
0: that after so many days after the resurrection 40 days I believe uh, our Lord ascended and these were all parts of the Christian calendar and have progressively been dropped which is Fresh. Now, uh, a Christian calendar will restore the significance of those days. But today, course, progressively, the Christian calendar is deteriorating. There is an all out attempt to uh, really do away with it. And, uh, In educational circles, it's no longer Easter vacation, it's spring vacation, which is very significant. In other words, it ceased to be a religious holiday. Yes, uh, it's either at the beginning of Acts or the latter part of one of the... uh, Yes. Oh. Well, that's interesting that the word Christmas has dropped out now. Well, it is an all-out de-Christianization of the calendar, and the churches have not been aware of the issue, so that they have not really done anything about it. Yes. Sometimes the children of this world ours, are, as our Lord said, wiser than the children of light. yes. I can't hear you. No. There have been a great many calendars devised in various cultures. Some of them are fairly accurate, very accurate calendars, but they are purely solar calendars. They have no reference to any religious purpose. Well, our time is up now, let's bow our heads for the benediction. Now go and teach God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost,
1: Bless you and keep you, guide, and protect you this day and always.